This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with adjunct professor Bill Botel. Bill is based at UNSW and is a public health advocate and expert. He was part of the team under the Hawke government who devised the plan to combat the AIDS HIV epidemic in Australia in the 1980s. We spoke about the novel coronavirus pandemic, COVID-19, both in Australia and what's happening globally. We talk about what governments, organisations and individuals need to do to stop and contain the spread of coronavirus in society. We'll be talking about, in quite a bit of depth, uh, the coronavirus and particularly some of the things that are being debated very rigorously online, particularly on Twitter, which you may think is... uh, Maybe not substantial, but it actually is because that's where a lot of the epidemiologists, virologists and intensivists, as in ICU doctors, anaesthetists, infectious disease physicians, many of these people from Italy, the UK, America, Australia are using that platform and a number of others, but particularly Twitter, to debate the latest evidence that's coming out and is being published in journals and also to examine their own respective countries' approaches and whether they are working and also sharing best practice with each other and some of the things they've been learning Down to details like, for example, in ICUs, how to best intubate a patient with suspected coronavirus because, of course, when you intubate uh, a patient, they'll often try to cough because they are having a a tube put down their throat and it is obviously a very uncomfortable and disturbing procedure for any person to have to go through and the increased need for intubation and ventilation will be a major issue that all governments will be facing with a shortage of ventilators and there are various approaches Approaches to deal with that as well. So many of these science and medicine issues are tied up with the government's response. And of course, they need to be listening to these medical and public health professionals and their uh, insights, which are based in evidence. And of course, their very long professional experiences and views with dealing with uh, infectious disease, including viruses. My next guest is now with me. He joins me on the phone from Sydney, adjunct professor Bill Botel from UNSW, and he's here to talk about the public health response to the novel coronavirus that emerged in Wuhan at the end of 2019 and has now spread around the globe and has uh, certainly led to the World Health Organization calling it a pandemic as of last week. And um, certainly there are some very important and urgent issues that we now face as a country and uh, there's a lot of issues we need to get straight to and start debunking some of the crazier theories that are out there and certainly aren't fringe. So I welcome Bill now and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Now let's first up There's so much to talk about, but we should um, talk first about the fact that Australia's cases of coronavirus, the positive cases that we have seen, have been increasing quite rapidly now on a day-to-day basis. We are at around 350 positive cases at the moment, with the federal government expecting there to be 1,000 by the end of this week. There has been criticism around the modelling, the lack of transparent modelling with this nation, um, being upfront about how many people 
people might be affected by the coronavirus, with other nations around the world being far more transparent in what modelling they're using and therefore basing their decisions on. First up, do you think that this modelling issue is important and does establish trust or, in another sense, if we withhold it, undermine trust? Well, of course it should be transparent. It should have been transparent from the end of December. The Australian government has clearly developed a policy that has allowed this thing to get to the situation where we are now facing an exponential growth rate in the spread of coronavirus. There were These things were held in secret. The meetings were held in secret. The modelling was held in secret. All of these things have been under lock and key. The consequences of that foolish policy making over January, February, we are now seeing. This was not the approach taken in countries that learnt the lesson from China, particularly Taiwan, Korea, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, who mobilised their populations very early on when they saw the threat to take all necessary steps that have resulted in the impact of the virus being lessened. We are taking the astonishingly wrong-headed approach that the Italians and the French and the Americans until four and five weeks ago thought, as was here, that this was a good idea to let it rip. Now we are facing the consequences of that. The world economy is collapsing. The European economy is collapsing. The President of France calls it like a declaration of war. Even in the last 24 hours, America now, which is reverse course totally, have taken swift and bold action, or the only action we can take to make sure that you and me and our families and our friends and our loved ones and our workplace, that we protect ourselves from from this thing as, as best we can. I, I'm astonished that the Australian government could blithely say here, it can be 300 today and 1,000 at the end of the week. Last Monday, seven days ago, so the day before yesterday, a week ago in Denmark, they had 57 cases. And whatever the Danish was, for she'll be right, nothing to see here. On Wednesday, they had 500. Uh, then they had 600 the next day and over 1,000 now in a week. Yes, and we're seeing that that real steep curve that is obviously in an upward trajectory starts to really um, go rapidly when we see the advent of community transmission, which has yeah. happened in the last few days in Australia. That's right. This was all highly... Nothing about this is unknown to science Mm. or unpredictable. It's not an act of God. It was completely clear to everybody who understands epidemiology or virology and who learnt the lessons from the AIDS response in the 80s in Australia uh, that you can intervene if you take it calmly and collectedly and do the right things based on fact and evidence, you can get you can get in control of the virus rather than the virus in control of you. We have adopted a policy called, based on so-called uh, herd immunity, which is charitably uh, not right and a lot worse than that, but it's untried, untested. And this policy, this has formed the basis of, of the policy in Australia, America and the US, uh, uh, sorry, UK. Uh, in the last 24 hours, both Trump and Johnson have collapsed totally and sane people have taken control of the response. It may be too late to avert the worst. Now, that's got to happen here. I cannot put it to you and your listeners strongly enough that the policies now being adopted 
in, in extremis in Europe and America are the right policies. No meetings. Stay home. Isolate yourself as best you can. Limit your contacts. Really, that's what that means. You can't isolate yourself totally. But limit the contacts. Should be no schools, no big meetings. And let's just do what we can now to make sure that that prediction complacently and seemingly it's okay given by the authorities that are allegedly in control of this seem to accept well i don't accept it i don't think your listeners should accept it i think they should do what they can we've got to say that people like i have a good feeling i hope that uh, premier of victoria and his uh, people understand the gravity of the situation i think increasingly uh, uh, properly informed health officials are and they realize that we have embarked on a course that was wrong and not based on scientific evidence and drawing conclusions from facts. Yes, and you're not the only person uh, voicing these opinions. These are all echoed by a number of academics, epidemiologists, virologists, infectious disease physicians, uh, people, doctors working in ICUs. Who were not involved in any way in the policy making that was secretly engaged in by a very small group of people who chose to not ask the people who knew what they were talking about and have a track record in Australia, but they consulted who knows what, who knows who. I have a good idea, but they uh, determined a policy. Look, you might have an argument, they might have an argument for doing it in academic sense, but they should have done us the courtesy of explaining they were overturning 50 years of Australian public health policy an approach to these things, and they had embarked on a radical, untested, hopeful new course that was only known to them. They did not. The Minister for Health never got up in the Parliament or anywhere else and said, this is the new approach. The Prime Minister never said that. It was done behind closed doors. You've still... Look, I, I, I know that this... Uh, I know the way I do the radio interviews sound calm and collected, so forgive me if I start to sound a little bit uh, agitated on this. I asked the Minister for Aged Care last night on Q&A. Well, you're the Minister. Please tell us today how many test kits there are in Australia. You know that answer because you're privy to these uh, secret information. He refused to answer. Last Friday, the uh, Chief Medical Officer, uh, uh, Murphy, wrote to the doctors and said, in some areas of Australia, some regions, there are no test kits. And I said, well, please tell us where they are. How many do you have? What regions? Which regions of Victoria may not have these things? I don't wish to sow apprehension, but if you don't know that answer, how can you then recommend, well, everybody should get tested or nobody should get tested? Now, this is beyond... This is, this is not business as usual. These are questions of life and death. Yes, they are. And the government seems to have embarked on a policy that would by not advocating in time social distancing, by allowing the schools to stay open, by the Prime Minister on Friday saying, I'm off to the football and nothing to see here, and it's, by the way, it's meetings of uh, 500 and above, go for it. The virus didn't get the message. Mm. (laughs) That they were taking a weekend off. Yeah, the virus said, mm. oh, that's good. Oh, look, uh, excuse me, you know, uh, I'll just uh, put my feet up and relax. I, I've heard today there's still some uh, 
some uh, tangentially, but the idea that the, somehow the Tokyo Olympics should go ahead. Well, if the Tokyo Olympics were next week, they wouldn't go ahead, A, because nobody could travel there. But the idea that we're locked on a course and the, vi- you know, the virus doesn't get the memo. Yes. Now, the President of France would today gave an extremely grave address. France is shut down. He wishes, monumentally wishes, that four to five to eight weeks ago, France had taken these decisions, and they didn't. If you ring up anybody in Italy, they wish they'd taken these decisions, but they didn't. If you rang up the chief medical officer in Lombardy in northern Italy and said to him, what do you think we should do now in Australia? He would say, for goodness sake, everything that does. The only trouble is you can't speak to the chief medical officer of Lombardy because he died last Thursday. We have to get real. The people of Australia have to take matters into their own hands to do the right thing by experts that are trustable and believable and have their interests at heart. They've not embarked on, at best, a... uh, foolish and untested policy of allowing this thing to spread widely and see what happens, but to do the thing today that they must do to to um, do the best by themselves and by our country. Um, and we must demand, uh, we must we must demand of the government to change course. I don't know if it will. And if they won't, well, we've got to look to the state governments, the government of Victoria, people like Premier Andrews. We've got to look to the, uh, you know, the state, the, the local councils. They have a tremendous role to play in this. They've never been advised or involved of what to do, but they're the people in very close contact with their communities. Mm. We have to look after people who are terrified and now and don't know what's happening. Uh, we can't allow isolation to mean social isolation. We must be kind and loving to the people who are most vulnerable. We must ask the police in a caring and sharing sort of way to up their presence at supermarkets and at hospitals to protect and uh, those workers as the premier said yesterday and we've got it we, we've got to come together in a calm way to minimize the effect of what's coming there are people today who woke up in melbourne whose businesses have collapsed they, and the workers, the business owners, they don't know where they're going to get their paycheck. They don't know where they're going to make the lease payment on their restaurant. Think of all the people who could be affected by what's coming in the airline industry and with Virgin and Qantas and everything that hangs off that. That's not next week's problem. That's today, Tuesday. Now, what is the government of Australia doing about it? In Germany, people are getting basically their wages put into their continually, whatever the wages were, through the banks they're putting them in. They're giving loans for anything to business, any time. You tell us, here it is. You know, like they're freezing the economy, uh, they're suspending mortgage repayments, and they're saying, well, you owe us the tax, but you don't have to pay it for six months. Now, they're, decision- they're things that ought to have been ta- contemplated last week. They weren't. They should be done this week, today. Now... These are things, there has been no coherent, organised planning at the top. And here we are. 
Well, can I talk I'm a little? I'm not happy. No, I can tell, and neither have I been because I've been following all of these medical professionals and scientists on Twitter for weeks now, watching especially the American situation where they could not test, and yet doctors at the front line knew that coronavirus was widespread in the community, but they could not actually get access to these tests. In terms of the herd immunity theory, just for people to understand the seriousness of this theory, it has been used as a reason why schools should be kept open and there are very much flaws in this argument that, of course, children supposedly will have a milder illness. Uh, We don't want them to be around their parents or their grandparents, um, so we'll keep them in school. Maybe they'll get the virus and we'll be protecting healthcare workers, we'll be protecting grandparents. But there's many issues with this, including, number one, there is no vaccine, and number two, these children do go home. Um, In your opinion, (laughs) with herd immunity, I mean... So many people, uh, academics and scientists, have said this would be a a catastrophe. Amy, we are embarking on a radical scientific experiment with the Australian people as subjects. I'm not an epidemiologist or scientist, right? So it's a very interesting argument and there are things on both sides. I don't know. The point is, as far as I understand, this thing is a coronavirus. There is no immunity in the world for it. There is no immunity, not like influenza, where people, you know, can be vaccinated and so on. So there is no immunity. It's a coronavirus like the cold virus. And as we all know, you can get the cold twice and three or four times in a year if you're unlucky. You know, the immunity lasts for a certain point, then it goes away. There is some evidence that people who have thrown off coronavirus infection have acquired it again. That is enough to suggest to me that the idea of blithely accepting, as the Deputy Chief Medical Officer of the Commonwealth came out yesterday and said, well, our modelling, now they've been shamed into starting to talk about their modelling, is between 20 and 70% would be infected. I can't help thinking, I said, well, 20% of 26 million is 5.2 million would be infected, all getting colds and runny noses and stills and so on like that. There are 2,000 ICU beds in all of Australia. So somebody who comes out and just says, as if it's the most easy thing in the world to grasp, 20%, 5.2 million, and we know that of the death rate is somewhere between 3 and 4 and 5%. Well, you do the maths. 5% of 5.2 million is a rather large figure. But I, I, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely stunned into or not quite silence the reverse of it but i <laughs> i i cannot I, I feel like i've slipped into some sort of alternate reality you know taken the blue pill or the red pill and off with Gano reeves down the matrix i can't believe we're hearing it and that people are saying well it's interesting yeah <laughs> From the- I, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm almost rendered speechless and people <laughs> yes. really shouldn't be asking me, get, get, uh, get um, uh, Greg Hunt on the phone or Brendan Murphy or Scott Morrison or the Premier of Victoria and say, do you agree with this? Have you signed off on this? Has somebody said something that I've missed? That your belief is that this should run, I said mm-hmm. last night to Mr Colbeck, I said, uh, have you not looked at the situation in Europe? Have you not looked at where it worked and successfully repelled and repulsed in Taiwan, which has been fantastic? Have you not drawn those lessons? Can you not see it? 
And if and if you believe that this is the right thing to do, which presumably they do, have you not exposed that to the criticism and analysis of experts and other people and say, well, what do you think about this? Let's put it out there and have an argument in January and say we should do this, not that. I'm perfectly open to having those arguments, but to keep it secret and then to come out and say the consequences of our failed policies are between 20 and 70% people being infected, I am, I am rendered utterly aghast. And people, people should ask the questions of Greg Hunt. I assume he's in his, in his electorate office today. Well, I'd go around and knock on the door and say, look, Greg, sorry to disturb you, out shaking hands, uh, which was obviously all right the other day, shake his hand and say, pal, could you just tell me if this is so? Or is Bill Botel and all the people who now are concerned about this, are they armchair critics? Don't know what they're talking about. And if you say that, say, well, I'm perfectly prepared to believe Bill Botel's off his rocker, but could you just explain to me the policy implications of what you're presiding over? And, and the, not the policy implications, the implications for the people who are listening to this program. Yes, exactly. Well, um, certainly we have seen doctors, prominent doctors like Dr. Norman Swan, who has become yes. almost a, a default spokesperson uh, about yes. this virus from a medical standpoint. He has been out there trying to uh, correct misinformation. Include, uh, he has done a wonderful job. Yes, he has, hasn't he? Um, some of that misinformation around whether people who are asymptomatic but are actually positive for the coronavirus can transmit the virus, uh, depending on, on, of course, viral load and the point well, at which well, they ask, were infected. Ask, ask, ask Richard Wilkins. He was with Tom Hanks last weekend in Sydney, as was a friend of mine. That's why I'm in, in uh, isolation in my apartment <laughs> uh, as I speak to you. Yeah. Richard Wilkins, according to his, uh, what he said in the paper, uh, when he heard that Tom Hanks had been uh, diagnosed positive, he went and, uh, and got a test, which is puzzles me because that's not the guidelines mm. at the moment but anyway he got tested and he was diagnosed with coronavirus and then he said i'm asymptomatic now part of the recommendations which i think are wrong is that asymptomatic people should not be tested i thought there was some science validity in it but i look at richard wilkins case that's clearly not so and it's certainly not the approach taken in taiwan and korea where they've been testing asymptomatic people in, in Korea, it's been 10,000 a day. And yes. they understand it, and it's been part of the reason that they brought this down. They found a lot of asymptomatic young people. Particularly so, in the age group of their 20s um, has been yes. a big there's, segment. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, lies and disinformation that it's only old people, mainly mainly to the comfort of young people who haven't got anything and say, well, that's all right, you know. Well, I'm 67. And when somebody said that to me the other day and said this was a revelation, I said, oh, that's really good. <laughs> but anyway, if you don't have truth and honesty and openness and you don't have the right people of the calibre of Norman Swan uh, out there telling the truth without any polit fear of political repercussion or as politicians, if you don't have that, what do you have? You have the lies and disinformation that you can pick up any time on the internet. Exactly. Well, that's the choice. Yep. Fear, and panic and confusion caused by lies and disinformation or telling the truth. This guy, the, the people, they have hidden this. They have done nothing. They've never stockpiled test kits. They haven't stuck emergency equipment. 
they never took a, a, a public information campaign when there was time to uh, educate the Australian people about what's going on. And they kept it all behind lock and key. Well, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. It's not good enough for me. I've been around a long time, but it's certainly not good enough to protect the interests and the health of the people who are listening to you and the people of Victoria. I think also from your perspective, given that you have the benefit of hindsight and you have also dealt with a previous and very severe public health crisis, which Mm. was the AIDS HIV pandemic in Australia in the 80s, given you've had that first-hand experience with the Hawke government and that it was also bipartisan, um, and I'm sure there were many other features that made it a success, looking back on that and the fact that we did actually learn lessons and do things well and also... um, I'm sure correct mistakes that were made if there were them. What are you thinking about those lessons that we had made, that institutional memory well, we should have had, and um, how we're behaving well, in comparison? All the people who were there, all the people who were there, and who saw what worked then, the last time a virus attacked our country, thought complacently that these policies, was, these principles, were so well established that no future government faced with the problem would do anything other than implement that response based on the policies that worked in in the days of HIV and AIDS. Presided over politically, I have to say, by two great uh, Victorians, Bob Hawke and Andrew Peacock, who said, we will convene the parliament, we'll get a multi-partisan working committee, uh, we'll get the experts in, we'll get all the people who are involved and associated with this, uh, who are most at risk of HIV infection, appoint the right experts, fund them for anything they need, and then importantly, as politicians, because half the country hated Bob Hawke and half the country hated Andrew Peacock, we'll get off the stage. And no, and we depoliticised it. We had no politicians. Why on earth would anybody, really, at this stage, of think there is no role for politicians? There's no role for Mr Morrison, publicly. There's no role for Greg Hunt, publicly. But where, what do they do? They go on television, they say one thing, they do another, somebody has an argument, then they correct it, then it's all great, you know, as if, as if we're fighting an election campaign. I've never seen anything so preposterous in my life. But that was how we did it then. Mm. But, the, but for whatever reason, this government said, no, we were not going to do that. It, we're not going to see what worked in Australia. We're not going to see what worked in Korea. Not going to see what worked in Taiwan. I know what we'll do. We'll go to some UK academic... And Professor Chris Whitty, the the medical officer of the United Kingdom, who's under their sway, and we'll adopt a radical and bold and interesting alternativeness and see what happens. But we won't tell anybody. We won't make a statement about it. This is not... We'll overthrow the principles that worked in Australia. We'll adopt something that's completely, in my view, crackpot. uh, And we're going to do that. But why would we tell you? You're just the taxpayers and the voters. Well, those taxpayers and voters are now the subjects of a very odd, threatening, wrong scientific experiment to see how far and wide this thing can spread. It's not good enough. Just closing out... It's not good enough. It's wrong. It's wrong. And Mm. it should be overthrown. And the people of Australia should just say, look, get off the stage. Give us the tools. Give us the information. And we'll do the job because you manifestly cannot do it. And we have seen organisations move before the government already with some universities taking action, yes, some schools taking action. But, but this, is, this is like do-it-yourself 
epidemiology. And this I think that's why some, some people have turned to Twitter for actual advice from epidemiologists um, because the, that is where they're giving that advice um, and also of course through the media um, just to close out this discussion yeah. I just want to touch on individuals because as you've mentioned there are um, a range of people in society who of course understand that um, there is a, a great proportion of the community who will have the virus and that most of them will have mild symptoms, but that is not yes. comfort to the people who are at risk, and they yes. include elderly people, people with autoimmune conditions, well, of course, people yes. with lung conditions. Mm. Uh, there's so many different um, people at risk, not just in an elderly category, but, of course, uh, young but and old. It's very important to understand this. Based on the Chinese thing and the 100-and-something thousand cases are in the world, 80 or 80% have mild symptoms, yep. as, as, as we know, right? You can get a coronavirus and cold and so it comes and goes. <clears throat> and and if you're robust or young or do anything like that, or you can shake it off, and that's that's the overwhelming thing, they recover. But I'm not, that's fine. I'm not actually concerned about the people who recover. I'm concerned about, as you said, the people who are vulnerable and likely for all sorts of reasons to acquire it. Yes. That's a big enough number. So, so like you can, you can, we can define ourselves out of it and say, well, I've got an eight and ten chance based on the Chinese figures of getting away. But I'm a more, far more concerned about the twenty percent who 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 go on to develop really bad conditions, and I'm very concerned, frankly, about the five percent of the people who die, based on the figures we have tonight. Now, it might I don't know who can predict the future. But certainly the first obligation of the people who run this country is to do everything to stop that number going up and finding out where it lands. That is known as the protection of public health. And if we're enrolled in an experiment by these people to find out if some other approach works, well, I, for one, would like to have known about it sometime at the end of December or beginning of January. We didn't. And some people have said that, uh, and certainly public health officials at the UN uh, World Health Organization level said that testing is important, but also yes. that government responses, it is a good thing for it to look like an overreaction because it means that you are actually um, being ahead of the curve yes. and being uh, ahead of the virus, essentially. Well, remember with China, I, I think a very common thing was, oh my goodness, China's over, you know, mate, you can't imagine that happening in Melbourne, right? Well, they were right. I mean, there, there are a lot of things you can have a, in principle, discussion about China if you want. There was a lot of chaos and silliness and all the rest of it. But in the end, the principle was right. Act swiftly and firmly at the thing. And it got out of control in one province and they brought it under control. And the people who learnt that lesson when it was out of con seemingly out of control in China and there were these massive containment exercises were the people in Korea Taiwan, Hong Kong and Singapore, who had experience of SARS and MERS. But they said, my goodness, we can't allow that to happen here. We must do all the things we can to bring that under control before it becomes a disaster. And they did it. And it, not in the same way as China, but they'd learnt they, the time they got from China, the lessons they learnt, and they did it all. And on the figures and the facts, it's worked. We could have gone down that path. The other day, the Prime Minister said, Australians being Australians, you know, we'll get all through this. Well, Australians shouldn't be Australians. Australians should be like Taiwanese. <laughs> you know? Catchy, catchy slogans instead of proper policy. 
at this stage. Yeah. And, um, I'm in the matrix. <laughs> I know. It, it does feel like that when you see uh, the advice from uh, doctors and, and other scientists that does keep conflicting with some of the messaging we're getting. Just to put mm. things in perspective okay. from South Korea, my uh, best friend who I met from university lives in South Korea. She's been mm-hmm. self-isolating for six weeks now, working from home that entire time, has only yeah. gone to walk out in a park very far away from each other, all wearing yeah. masks, and yeah. uh, no one has been out to do what they would like to do, but they're yeah. all accepting that for a short period of time or a medium-term period of time that certain yep. sacrifices need to be made for everyone's That's benefit. Right. Correct. And, and, and uh, the biggest sacrifice you can make is your life. And uh, compared to that, you have to, if we've got to not go to AFL games, not send the kids to school, all that stuff, well, that's too bad, really, isn't it? Don't you think? That's a sensible trade-off to me. Probably do know what you're doing, and it's done in a calm and sensible sort of way. That's just how it is. And, and we have to look after each other and have so, and solidarity for the people who are scared and unhappy. It's not the end of the world. It's not like a movie. You know, a lot of people think, oh, my God, a virus is coming. And it's not. It's not. It's completely rationally able to be handled. We don't need to panic. We're not facing the destruction of our way of life and the rest of it. But believe me, four weeks ago, if you'd gone around Europe, they would have been calmly, complacently saying, nothing much to see here. We'll handle it when we get around to it. Well, they bitterly regret that today. Yes, And exactly. I don't want us to bitterly regret that in two, one week and three weeks and four weeks' time. The people who are handling this, uh, in my view, should be deemed by the Australian people to be completely irrelevant. They are part of the problem, not part of the solution. Their assumptions are, as they get extracted out of them, hour by hour and day by day, their assumptions are wrong. The direction of policy is wrong. And people in the states and at local government level and at community level have got to start doing it. I'm not really more... Mm. I'm, personally, I'm no longer more interested in arguing this question yep. with, the, with these people. I look to our councils and our uh, churches and our great organisations and uh, the, the premiers and all those people to come together now to do the right thing. And for those listening who are in the community and are individuals, what should they do then if we need to start to take they charge should, of the situation? Well, they should talk to their, you know, their community groups, their businesses, their workers, their employers, you know, everybody all around their universities and schools and say, my goodness, we have a problem. And what can we all do collectively to figure this out? About, and, you know, the, figure out the finances, figure out the support, figure out the support. Uh, the one interesting thing is we have, Twitter and social media and Skype and all that sort of thing. So even if you go have to go and stay home for a while, mostly you're not going to be um, isolated, at least in connection terms. So let's build on all of that. Uh, let's be very compassionate and supportive of the people who are facing economic hardship as well and organise ourselves from the grassroots up. And if we do that and we, we rely on our friends and our connections in our community groups and the people at work and all those sort of characters, you know, all that, and uh, look to local level for leadership and to the uh, Premier and uh, to the state government, I'm sure we can get through it.
it's a pity we've come to this, but we have, and now we must act quickly, very quickly. Thank you so much, Bill. It's uh, been really, really valuable to hear from you today. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Just been speaking with Bill Botel, an adjunct professor at UNSW, which is the University of New South Wales. And Bill Botel's background, uh, of course, is he was um, a key member of uh, staff to the health minister at the time in the Hawke government um, who was dealing with the AIDS epidemic and crisis in Australia and was really um, very much intimately involved in the the political um, and public health policy uh, approaches to that very, very disturbing crisis, which, of course, they did get on top of. And uh, Australia was looked at as one of the great shining lights in terms of uh, examples to other nations as to how we deal with a public health crisis, such as a, a very deadly virus like uh, HIV AIDS. And as Bill mentioned there, of course, um, it's not the same. Coronaviruses as a family are very different. And this novel coronavirus um, is certainly uh, unique and we need to wait and see how things play out. And of course, there are different death rates at the moment in different countries, depending on what approach each country has taken and their individual circumstances. So um, there are a range of approaches that each countries are taking. But as we've seen in the last 24 hours. Things have really gotten serious over in Europe, which the World Health Organization director says is now the epicenter of the coronavirus, uh, with Spain, France and Italy seeing their highest number of deaths in a single day. Spain and France are in lockdown, so is Italy. And uh, Spain, as of yesterday, has taken over private healthcare providers to harness their stockpiles, their ability to manufacture equipment. Uh, So there are so many different um, approaches to this issue that have been taken and are being taken, of course, depending on the situation in each country. And obviously things will emerge more as we look across the week. But as I said, uh, if you look to scientists and doctors such as Dr Norman Swan, uh, but there's also a number of Australian, US, UK uh, doctors, epidemiologists and virologists. Ian McKay is another great virologist uh, based up in Queensland who has been sharing his advice with everyone. There is uh, certainly clear and robust evidence when it comes to epidemiology and managing a public health crisis and, of course, learned experiences from the past that Australia can draw upon and, of course, um, should be drawing upon all of our talent and uh, all of our best efforts. So there is, um, yeah, so much going on. But hopefully, as Bill said, um, the coronavirus is not the end of the world, but it is serious for the people who could... um, catch that virus who are in a vulnerable at-risk group and of course no one wants to um, be the carrier of a virus and give that to someone who may be more at risk than themselves of um, having severe consequences from catching the virus so uh, it's important as 
Ben said earlier in the show to wash your hands, of course, um, for 20 seconds, to cough into your elbow, to sneeze into your elbow, um, to practice social distancing if you're feeling unwell, to isolate yourself um, at home until you know whether you are at risk of um, giving someone a virus. As I said, um, the first community transmission was only last week, so it's really uh, a wait and see as to how things do develop and emerge. 